We're going to be in some other places too, so be, <laughs> be ready. And let me catch up here. Again, it's Sunday, May 29th, 2022, or if you are Jewish, it's the 28th day of IR, the year 5782 since creation. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are grateful once again for this time that you've given to us to gather together to open your word to see what it might say to us this morning. Help us to be discerning and and divining in, in reading your word so that we might live our lives in a manner more pleasing to you. We thank you for the example of Jesus Christ that we've been given, that we should love the world as he loved the world. Be with us in this hour. Help us to bring honor and glory and praise to you. In Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, we reviewed the Holy Days last week a little bit, and I'm going to go real fast through this. Uh, Again, there are seven feasts given to us in the book of Leviticus. There is Passover, the spring feasts are Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of First Fruits, and the Feast of Weeks. Now, the Feast of First Fruits and the Feast of Weeks in various places in the Bible are referred to as all part of the same thing. And we're in this period between what I'm referring to here as the first Feast of First Fruits, uh, which occurs the day after the Sabbath. And in, in Christ's Holy Week, that would have been Sunday uh, when Christ arose. That's why it's a special day for us. We celebrate that as Easter. And the, the Feast of Weeks, which occurs 50 days later than the day after the Sabbath, in Holy Week, the day after the Sabbath, Passover Sabbath. Uh, that's the Feast of Weeks, uh, and also referred to by Christians as Pentecost. It's also referred to as by Israel as Pentecost, because Pentecost is just a Greek word that means 50 days. So those are the spring feasts. The fall feasts, which we're not going to talk about, are the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Booths, or Sukkot. Now, there are other feasts celebrated throughout the Jewish world. And and again, I'm going to be presenting a a little bit of history and tradition here uh, from the perspective of the Jews. Our our Lord was a Jew, uh, and so much of church future revolves around what happens to the nation of Israel that I think it's good for us to understand it a little bit. So we're going to be doing kind of a, you know, not a real deep theological study today, but but there will be an application, and and we'll get to that. But there are minor feasts that aren't aren't celebrated uh, or aren't necessarily Levitical feasts, but are feasts that are important in the Jewish tradition. I won't be talking about those today. Don't know why I brought it up. Sorry. So as we continue on, we're just going to skip over these because I want to get to where we left off uh, the last time. And that brings us to uh, kind of the the Feast of First Fruits. And we can read about that in Leviticus starting in, in verse 10. I think I've got that right. 
Now, ancient Israel, or Israel prior to Christ's time and prior to the dispersion that occurred after the destruction of the temple in AD 70, had an economy that was largely agricultural. So a lot of their world revolved around what happened in the, in the uh, agricultural time periods. This Feast of First Fruits was timed to be occurring at about the time of the barley harvest, as I mentioned last week. And they were to bring in the first sheaves of the barley harvest, bring it into the house, of, into the temple, and have the priest give a wave offering of, of that sheaf of first fruits. So this wave offering was offered to God as thanks for the blessing of the coming harvest. Now the, the time between, if we skip uh, on ahead uh, in, in Leviticus 23 and verse 14, it also talks about until the same day, until you have brought in the offering of your God, you shall eat neither bread nor roasted grain nor new growth. It is to be a perpetual statute throughout your generations and all your dwelling places. This is referring to uh, the, the latter first fruits, as I talked about last week, or the, this is Pentecost. Uh, and they were to, you know, it was important to them not to partake of the harvest until they had acknowledged that it came from God. So that's what the, the waving of the first sheaves or at Pentecost, at, at uh, Shavuot, was the, the waving of the, the two loaves of bread. Now, there's a distinction between the early first fruits and the latter first fruits, as given in Leviticus, is that the, the early first fruits was just a wave of, of sheaves of grain. Uh, the latter first fruits was a waving of two loaves of bread, and, and we can go into all kinds of details about what that means. That's not really the point I'm trying to make, but there are, are parallels that drawn, draw there. One of them is this idea that the two loaves that are waved as an offering kind of represented uh, what that feast has become in Jewish tradition. And this transition from being a harvest festival to a festival to honor the giving of the Torah or the giving of the law to Moses on Mount Sinai, that correlation comes partly from this representation of the bread as the of the two loaves of bread as the two tablets upon which the law was written. So there's a connection there. Now again this transition took place many generations ago. Actually it took took place between uh the destruction of the first temple and the destruction of the second temple. So in that time period before Christ uh, is when this transition to celebrating the giving of the law took place uh, and has persisted to this day. Uh, if you look at, at modern writings or modern presentations of what Shavuot is in the modern world, it is a, a celebration of the giving of the law. And there have been Christian commentators I'm getting way out of, maybe I ought to back up a little bit. So, you know, this, this is what the Jews celebrate on, on, on Pentecost today, is the giving of the law. Not so much a grain offering, not so much 
uh, giving. Of course, they can't do sacrifices. They can't wave the, the bread in front of God who at the time this was given dwelt in the tabernacle or, or was going to be dwelling in the tabernacle. His presence was with them uh, when these laws were given. So uh, we know that the Shekinah glory left the temple uh, just before the Babylonian captivity. Uh, we've talked about that in the past. So, and, and since the destruction of the temple, there's no longer any inner court that, they, that the priest can take the gifts to to wave in front of the Ark of the Covenant, which may or may not have been there in Christ's times. We're not sure. But, you know, none of that is there now. So there's no temple to bring the feast to. Uh, modern Jews don't celebrate the early first fruits. Uh, partially for this reason. There's no temple. They were to bring that she those sheaves of grain to the temple and wave them before the Lord. There's no temple, so they don't bring it. It's not really celebrated as anything important in modern Judaism. So, you know, uh, in Jewish tradition, not only did uh, God give Moses the written word, the written law that we have in, the, in the, the first five books of the New Testament, the Torah, or the Old Testament, the Torah. Uh, he also gave, according to Jew, Jewish tradition, he also gave him oral traditions that the Jews were to follow. These were given to the priests and, and, and uh the, the sages, the Levites, uh, in order for them to know how to practice these things that God was wanting them to do. So all of these things uh, occurred, and this is what they celebrate uh, today. Now, is, is first fruits important to Christians? And, and I would say to that, absolutely. We talked about this last week, so we're still kind of in review. In 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verses 20 through 23, Paul writes, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits. And after that, those who are Christ's at his coming. So that's what we celebrate on Easter. That's Easter to us. That raising of Christ, that first fruits, that, that gives us the initial fulfillment or the promise of the fulfillment that we would be resurrected and be with Christ and, and be with him, uh, with the Father, presence with Jesus for all eternity. So we have that to look forward to because Christ rose on Easter. So this period in between, this counting of the Omer, and I talked about this a little bit and mentioned it, you know, according to the Torah in, in Leviticus chapter 15, or chapter 20, uh, let me get there right, Leviticus chapter 23, starting in verse 15, I had all the numbers just in the wrong order, Leviticus 23, 15, says, you shall also count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day when you brought in the sheaf of the wave offering. There shall be seven complete Sabbaths. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. 
Then you shall present a new grain offering to the Lord. And this takes them from the barley harvest to the wheat harvest. And that's where the bread is made of fine flour. And the rules for <laughs> the rules for the bread, uh, I, I didn't really write any of this down to present to you, but you know we've talked before about how particular uh, the Jews follow the practice. In fact, in the counting of the Omer, there's so many rules regarding how they refer to the days. Like today, I, I mentioned today is the tw- uh, 43rd day of the Omer. Well, that's all right to say. But if you said, well, what are we counting tonight? The response would be, well, today is the 43rd day of the Omer. <laughs> you wouldn't say, oh, it's going to be the 44th day because it was wrong to pronounce the next day until after the blessing had been said for that day. So, you know, they follow all these rules and, and, and the leaders of, of the Jews just in order to make sure that they, they don't break a rule of God, don't break even the smallest, minutest point, uh, really got strict with how they observed this. In fact, even even the count, uh, you know, I mentioned that you don't mention the next day until after the blessing was made. Well, in the passage that we just read here in, in Leviticus 50, uh, 23, 15, and 16, you know, it says, well, you, you count 50 days, but it also says seven Sabbaths to the day after the seventh Sabbath. So in order to make sure, well, that's kind of a, what's a Sabbath? A, a Sabbath period is seven days. So, you know, that's a week. So if you were going to refer to this day, you would refer to it as this is the 43rd day, which is, okay, so we're to count 50 days. So we've counted a day. It's the 43rd day. It also says to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Oh, okay, so he's referring to weeks there. So it's the sixth week, the first day. So in order to be sure that they're not missing a point, they refer to it in both ways. In in their little ceremony, their uh, meditation time, if you will, uh, for the the counting of the Omer, they, they refer to this both ways, the 43rd day, the sixth week, first day. So all of these are, are done in order to make sure that they're not, to, to make sure, <laughs> to make sure that they're not crossing a rule or, or violating a rule. And in this counting, there's a lot to this, really. If if we dig deep and see what was was supposed to happen during this time, you know, the the counting uh, is is to take place every night at the beginning of the new day. Remember, in in Jewish tradition, according to uh, what they've picked up from Genesis chapter one, the evening. And morning makes a day. So the day starts as soon as the sunset. The day starts at sunset. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's important. So that's why Jewish days and secular days don't line up. We begin our new day at midnight. Uh, 
uh, they begin, the Jews uh, recognize that the day begins the night before uh, at sunset. So the counting here is intended to remind us of, of the link between all the celebrations that we had at Passover time, you know, which, which commemorates the Exodus uh, and the, the time of Shavuot, the, the time which commemorates the giving of the Torah. These, these two events are linked by this counting of 50 days. So, uh, you know, in addition, uh, you know, it reminds us, it reminds the Jews of, of the redemption uh, from, from slavery, from slavery in Egypt. And then the Torah uh, gave them the new law, which gave them freedom from slavery to the world. It gave them their own existence. It gave them uh, their national identity. So that's that's what this time of, of counting the Omer is intended to do. So the, the Festival of Weeks, you know, again begins at, at this year. Uh, for instance, uh, Shavuot begins. Now, here's another thing about Jewish uh, in, the, in the dispersion. Uh, the diaspora. Uh, there's some differences. Shavuot, for instance, is a two-day celebration for those in the dispersion, for the dispersed Jews around the world. In Israel itself, it's a one-day festival. And the, a lot of the festivals of the Jewish traditions are this way. And one of the reasons for doing that is to make sure that the the festival time uh, in the dispersion covers the period of time that it's celebrated in Israel. So if you are outside of Israel, it's a two-day feast, um, and that's created some additional uh, traditions too, which I'll be talking about soon. But this festival of Shavuot this year, uh, in the year 2022, begins at sundown on Saturday the 4th of June and ends at nightfall on Monday, the 6th of June. If you're in Israel, it begins at sundown on the 5th of June, the Sunday, and ends on the 6th. So uh, Shavuot in Israel is, is celebrated on June 6th. So we're a week away from that. Uh, so what can we learn uh, about this? I, I guess I'm going to go a different direction here. Um, and this holiday... Uh, is one of the three biblical pilgrimage festivals. Uh, and it marks the conclusion, the Shavuot marks the conclusion of the counting of the Omer. So Shavuot, um, the, this celebration has a whole bunch of names. Uh, it's called the Feast of Weeks, we've mentioned that. Latter First Fruits, we've mentioned that. Uh, Shavuot, it also is, and there's other names for it in the in the in the Bible. Leviticus 23 describes the feast, but doesn't give it a name. It says you'll you'll have this feast, but it just refers to the offerings of the the grain or the bread as first fruits. 
which is why we call it the latter first fruit sometimes. Uh, other passages of Scripture refer to the occasion as the festival of weeks. Uh, so the Hebrew word for weeks is Shavuot, and that's why we call it Shavuot. The counting requires seven Sabbaths or weeks, and observing the feast on the following after the after the the day after the 49th day, the day after the seven weeks. So that's where we get a 50-day period. And Pentecost, again, in Greek, just means 50th. So this feast is also mentioned uh, in Exodus 23, verses 14 through 17. And this is where we know, this is where the three pilgrimage festivals that I've mentioned are, are to be celebrated. Uh, so Exodus 23, beginning in verse 14. Three times a year sh- you shall celebrate a feast to me. You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread for seven days. And this is, I'll, I'll just keep reading. You shall, uh, for seven days you shall eat unleavened bread as I commanded you at the appointed time in the month of Ahab, Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt, and none shall appear to me before me empty-handed. And you shall observe the feast of the harvest of the first fruits of your labors from what you sow in the field. Also the feast of the ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in the fruit of your labors from the field. Three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord God. And this refers to when they were commanded to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate these feasts in the temple. So let's go through these one at a time. First in Exodus 23:15, you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For seven days you are to eat unleavened bread. And this is obviously referring uh, to the Passover and the feast of unleavened bread. Many of the Jewish references that I've consulted uh, lump these together in the same festival. The Passover being the beginning of the feasts and and the unleavened bread for seven days as they were commanded. So the Feast of Unleavened Bread here in Exodus is is Passover, the Passover time. And then in, in verse 16, And you shall also observe the Feast of the Harvest of the first fruits of your labors from what you sow in the field. Again, this refers to the barley harvest, uh, which is the first of the grains to ripen. You're to bring a sheaf of grain in to the temple and wave it before the Lord. And then the third festival, and here this is kind of uh, emphasizing the agricultural aspects of of the economy and, and their whole world revolved around planting and harvesting and and this so the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in the fruit of your labors from the field uh, this is referring to not latter first fruits not the not the shavat time that's that's part of the the second feast um, but this is referring to uh this the feast of ingathering is what they call sukkot uh, which is the festival of booths that happens in the fall. That's the last of the seven festivals. So these three feasts that are national feasts that, that require a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, 
uh, are Pesach, uh, which is Passover, Shavuot, which is the, the latter first fruits, and Sukkot, which is the festival of booths. You know, again, revolving around the agricultural nature of what, what Israel was doing. So I'm going to go back now. <laughs> I'm kind of jumping around. I made some changes in the order of my slides, so uh, my thoughts might not be going the way my slides are ordered. So, you know, what happens during this period of the counting of the Omer? Uh, the verse says, you shall also count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath. That's the Sabbath of, of, of the Passover week. From the day when you brought in the sheaf of the wave offering, there shall be seven complete Sabbaths. You shall count 50 days to the day after the 70th or the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a new grain offering to the Lord. So what, what did the Jews do during this time? And what does this time represent? Well, uh, in Jewish teaching, there are seven divine attributes attributed to God. Uh, these are referred to as sephiroth, and and these attributes of God are these these divine attributes. Uh, the first is love. The second is strength. Uh, the third is beauty, victory, splendor, and foundation, and sovereignty. These are the seven divine attributes that Jews attribute to God. And in their belief system, in their, in their teachings, these seven divine attributes, because mankind was created in the image of God, these seven divine attributes are reflected in mankind in these emotional attributes. And the emotional attributes that they ascribe and teach about are these. Kindness, restraint, harmony, ambition, humility, sorry, connection, and receptiveness. So during the counting of the Omer, during the seven Sabbaths of counting the Omer, they each week gets one of these attributes as a focus of their teaching. And in addition, each one of these attributes contains elements of all seven of them. So the first day, you would teach about kindness within kindness. And the second day, you would teach about restraint within kindness, and so on and so on. And you can see that these seven attributes of each attribute <laughs> come to a total of 49 days. So you have 49 days of devotions. And the purpose uh, of these dev devotions, these, these studies, uh, and is is to examine oneself it's it's a time of of emotional cleansing if you will realignment of of what you're thinking with with what god wants you to think so they take this time as a, as a time of reflection and study about oneself in order to be made 
uh, more perfect. Uh, and the word they use is rectification. You are uh, rectifying your thoughts with those of God so that you align spiritually with what God wants you to do and wants you to be. So this day, today, uh, is Sunday, May 29th, and it is the 28th day of Iyar, as I spoke before. But what would happen tonight in a Jewish household is that they would have a time of reflection. Uh, and I did a transliteration of the Hebrew for this. And if I can have your patience with me for a moment, I'll try. I may not get past the first phrase. But the, the prayer of blessing that is given tonight is this, Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher, Kirishanu Votav, Vetsi Vanu Al Seraph Rat HaOmer. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us concerning the counting of the Omer. Today, after the blessing tonight, they would say today is 44 days, which is six weeks, and two days to the Omer. And then the study for tonight, they would have a particular scripture reading that they would read out of the Torah. And then there would be a, a short devotion on restraint and receptiveness would have been the the study tonight. So so in ancient times at the time this you would do this every night leading up to the 49th night then you would have that last devotion and then the next day would have been the beginning of the Shabbat. Uh, in our case that would be Sunday the 5th beginning in the diaspora. So in the dispersion, that's when you would celebrate that. So uh, now how would they celebrate the Shavuot, the, the Passover? Uh, there are several ways. Several things are done. First of all, women and girls would light holiday candles to usher in the holiday on both the first and second evenings of the holidays. Remember in the dispersion that's celebrated for two days. Um, it's also customary on that night to stay up all night learning the Torah on the first night of Shavuot. So study of the scripture because they're what they're celebrating is the giving of the law. So studying of that uh, was important to them, the Torah. All men and women should go to, to, to the synagogue to hear the reading of the Ten Commandments on the first day of the Shavuot. Uh, we've been in several Jewish services, uh, Sabbath services, as well as some special days. Uh, I have a niece and nephew that are, are Jewish, and we've gotten to participate in a lot of the traditional Jewish things. And, and this is one of the days when... Uh, when the respect for the Torah is really shown by the, the Jewish people, uh, the more devout Jews would wear their uh, prayer shawls uh, and the tassels 
at the end of the service, after the reading of the Torah in the, in the Ten Commandments, the rabbi would take their copy of the Torah on scrolls and would walk through the audience, uh, the, whoever's in the service, and as the, as the priest would pass by with the, the Torah open to the, that passage of Scripture, uh, the men would, would take the tassels from their prayer shawls and touch the, the scrolls with it and then kiss it in, re, in respect and honor to that Torah. Uh, The Torah, the law, is very important to them. Uh, it is something that they, the, the more devout Jews, uh, really try and, and, and spend a lot of time trying to follow, trying to understand. Um, and you know, so that happens. Uh, also on this day, in, in the day of Shavuot, special meals are eaten. And no work may be performed. So this is this is a Sabbath day, a holy day. Um, but the meals that they eat have are steeped in tradition as well. Uh, one of the things is is that on the first day, uh, they usually eat meals based on uh, dairy, uh, not meats. So they wouldn't eat meat on the first day. They would eat, you know, meals based on dairy like. Uh, I don't know, like what, uh, but but no meat. And then the second day, they would have a, a festival meal, uh, including meat. Um, so uh, here we go. I thought I had it in here. Menus range from traditional cheese blintzes to quiches, casseroles, and more. On the second day, uh, again, a memorial service is recited. Uh, the Yitz, Yitzkor memorial service. I'm not going to try and do that in Hebrew. Some communities read the book of Ruth during the morning services. Again, uh, this is an uh, important time for them, and, and they read the, booth, uh, the book of Ruth uh, because they were taken out of Egypt and given their own identity. Uh, Ruth is, is the consummate, uh, consummate example of somebody who came into the Jewish faith. She was not born a Jew. She was a Moabitess. Uh, but she followed, and because of her love for Naomi, uh, followed her to Israel and became a Jew and actually uh, is found in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Um, and some, some people decorate their homes and and the synagogues with, with flowers and sweet-smelling plants in order to uh, make it a, a very festive and happy time. So that's how Jews practice Shavuot. So what is the importance of Shavuot for Christians? You know, why is this important? Why, why am I spending two weeks talking about this topic? Well, uh, Shavuot also is, is that Pentecost day. That's the day, if we read the, last week we read the passage in Acts where uh, the disciples were all in a room and 
all of the men from the nation of Israel were gathered in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, and this is the time uh, when many people claim uh, that this is when the Holy Spirit came upon the world, that re-entered the world. Well, there is an aspect of that to that, but I read John chapter 20 for a particular purpose. And if you look at, at chapter, in John chapter 20, verse 22, it says this, and when he, referring to Jesus, had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now there are people, this is, a, this is before Pentecost, and there are people who teach, and I haven't studied this enough, <laughs> so I'm only presenting it as, as something others have taught, uh, and maybe I shouldn't be mentioning it here, given that caveat. But some people believe that this is when the Holy Spirit came to the disciples, was th that Jesus anointed them with the Holy Spirit. Uh, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And this was weeks before Pentecost. But Pentecost is clearly why there might be debate about when the Holy Spirit came into the world. There's no debate on this issue. I don't believe there shouldn't be any debate on this issue. Is that Pentecost is the date that we count the birthday of the church. This, this mystery that was hidden for so long and was not even mentioned in the Old Testament so the birthday of the church uh, became this event where spirit-filled individuals and the, the disciples kind of uh, joined into one organism, into this organism that Paul later described as the body of Christ, the body. We are Christ's body. We're all together uh, serving different functions, but all one. Uh, this is the, the gift of, of Pentecost, this birth of the church. And the Holy Spirit moved on each one of the disciples in order to bring about this united story of Jesus Christ, the, the, the message that Peter preached that everyone who was there heard in their own tongue and dialect. Uh, this is the united story of Jesus that was given to them. Uh, at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit moved the disciples to do this, to, to give this teaching. Uh, just as the giving of the law at Mount Sinai kind of formed the constitution of the Jewish, uh, the spiritual commonwealth of Israel, the nation of Israel, as, as the giving of the law brought them together, so did this event on, on the day of Pentecost brought the Christians together, the believers, uh, in order to give forth the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Israel was brought forth together by the law. Believers in Christ were bound together, not by rules, but by the Holy Spirit, which lived within them. So this day of Pentecost is one that we celebrate as Christians. It's an important day. Uh, the entire spring religious season of Israel from Passover to Pentecost speaks of God's plan to harvest a holy people for himself. First is Jesus died the perfect sinless sacrifice. Then he arose and became the first fruits of the dead as described uh, by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians. 
chapter 15, verse 20. Seven weeks after the resurrection, the dynamic manifestation of the Holy Spirit came upon that early, those early Jewish believers and, and became the catalyst for many to put their faith in Jesus Christ. If we read that passage in Acts, that story, it says that 3,000 people that day came to a no, uh, believing knowledge of Jesus Christ. So the Jewish pilgrims who heard it responded, received the good news that they were given, uh, and joyfully took it back to their native lands where both Gentiles and Jews became Christians and became established, and the Christian faith became established all over the world. And the inclusion of the Gentiles completed the, the symbolism of the wave offering where the high priest offered the two loaves. And here I like to say that these two loaves didn't represent the two tablets of the Torah, but rather represented uh, Jews and Gentiles alike being offered as a wave offering to God. That we're joined together in that one offering to God. The loaves were made of fine wheat flour. They contained leaven, uh, which is a symbol of sin. And that speaks to the, to the fact that the church, although we are justified and, and refined, uh, we still have that sin in us. We are not a perfect organism. And we will remain that way, impacted by, the human, nature, by human nature, until that day when, when the church is presented as a spotless, uh, no wrinkles, perfect, perfected uh, bride of Christ. At that point, the church will be cleansed from from the people in the church will be cleansed from the sin that has dwelt in us because we will have been glorified at that point through the glorification that is yet to come. We're living our lives to be sanctified, to, to grow closer and closer to Jesus, uh, to that life which Jesus would have us to live, that perfect life which we all should be at, seeking to attain. Uh, but that day will come when we'll be presented as Christ's bride, and at that point we'll be, we'll be perfected. We will be glorified. We will be spotless and won't be ashamed to be able to stand in front of God. For believers in Jesus, Shavuot is an archetype of what happens seven weeks after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Because of the great power displayed in the upper room at, at, at Pentecost, uh, you know, they were given power to be able to speak clearly. Uh, because this, this church was created at that, on that day of Pentecost, what should we do now? What's our responsibility? So just as the tongues of flame became the manifestation of the Holy Spirit within the disciples, and their strength of faith gave them the ability to speak and bring God's message to all the world. Uh, we also need to, to take advantage of that power that's given to us, the confidence that we have in, this, in this, the Holy Spirit living with each one of, within each one of us. We got the Holy Spirit within us at, at the time that we were saved, that moment when we believed uh, that power is in us.
And we're to use that power in this world in order to bring God's message, just as Peter brought the message of God to those listening on that day of Pentecost. What we should learn from this day and the celebration of Shabbat is that we have given this new being, this new entity, the church, that was born on that day, and those that day brought The church has a responsibility and a duty. And that duty is to preach the gospel to all the world. And I'm speaking to myself as much as I'm speaking to anyone here. You know, we, we are walking in this, in this walk of sanctification, trying to live better lives each and every day. Do I always do it? Uh, you all know better. Uh, but we we need to be striving for that uh, it's not a brass ring that we can't catch we've been given the power to live sinless lives i've always talked about the woman who was caught in adultery and, and when jesus had stepped up from the ground after all of her accusers had left said to her now go and sin no more he wasn't given her a command that she couldn't do and we are also called to perfection, to, to that sinless life. We're not given a command that we sh- can't do. We've got the power. We just uh, get bogged down sometimes. But the purpose that we have as people uh, is to become a part of the body of Christ in order to reach people for the harvest. God wants such a harvest of, of, of all peoples and every nation so as we celebrate the birthday of the church on Pentecost, which is celebrated in Christian church next Sunday, uh, when, we, when we celebrate that, we need to contemplate and think about the fact that our primary purpose as a church in this world is to proclaim the gospel to every corner of the world. To, and we don't want to make this such a big goal that, you know, I can't possibly do anything preaching the gospel in the deepest parts of Africa. We're not called to do that. We've each got our all the world to preach to, to be a witness to. Those people sitting next to us in the office, uh, that person in front of us at the line at the store, uh, that person that we see at coffee every morning, uh, the, 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 everyone around us needs to hear the gospel message and with the, you know, as we, as we, God's people, uh, remain faithful to, to performing this task, uh, the harvest will grow. God, Christ will build his church. We're not supposed to build the church. And in and, and the function of our church, or the function of the church, uh, isn't necessarily to gather us together here on Sunday mornings. It's to equip us. What we're here for is to be equipped to be able to go out into the world, to go with the confidence that comes from the knowledge that, that the Holy Spirit is within you. And Christ said to the, his disciples, go into every nation, you know, Jerusalem and Judea and the uttermost parts of the world, uh, starting at home uh, to those closest to us, our family, our friends. And, and as our circle expands, as God uses in a, in a way 
to share his gospel with the world so that that harvest will come in. Uh, as, and we uh, need to be faithful to that task. And that's all I have for the day. Thank you. Let's pray. Yes. Let's pray and then we'll ask a question. Father, thank you for what you've done for us, for your word. Help us to bring honor and glory to you. Help us to encourage one another. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay.